Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. 21 years ago in St. Louis, six correctional centers and juvenile detention centers began a program featuring incarcerated adults and children called Prison Performing Arts. Hardened criminals performing classic plays have provided fascinating insights into theater and life. As This American Life said a Prison Performing Arts production of Hamlet in a St. Louis penitentiary, it's a play about murder and its consequences, performed by murderers living out the consequences. The program's goal is to inspire intellectual curiosity and personal development and nurture the discipline, teamwork, and communication skills necessary for successful reentry into society. I'm sure we'll get into talking about the purpose of prison. The program today joining us are the program's founder and artistic director, Agnes Wilcox. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. And uh, we are also joined by Webster University English professor, longtime program volunteer, Meg Sempriora. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, you are. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the USU English Department is sponsoring their visit to Logan, and they'll visit classes, uh, present their work, participate in a panel with correctional personnel during a, the common hour. That is tomorrow. It begins at 11.30 in the USU Hate Alumni Center. So, Agnes Wilcox, uh, how did this begin? You've, you've been in theater for a long time as, as a director and other roles. Uh, how did Prison Performing Arts begin? It actually began when I was a teenager. I lived in Wisconsin, and my mom was on the governor's board of social services. So she would go to all of the state institutions, including the prisons. Uh, one day, I went with her, and I took a short tour of the prison, the women's prison, at Techita, Wisconsin. And I looked at the women I met there and realized there was absolutely nothing different uh, between them and me. I was a person of greater privilege, and that's why I wasn't there. So when I was artistic director of a small professional theater company, we began to perform our shows in local prisons and jails. And then when that company disappeared, we uh, continued as Prison Performing Arts. Hmm. What was the first production that, that you actually involved inmates performing? Uh, of course, it was Hamlet. Hamlet, yes. Um, you know, start with something everyone has heard of that doesn't have a lot of women's roles because this was a men's prison. And uh, really give the people, the actors I'm working with, a challenge. Mm. And this is, and I made reference in the open to the This American Life, and some of our listeners will have heard that uh, riveting program based on on your program, a production of Hamlet uh, Act 5 in a, in a St. Louis penitentiary. Um, and, and as they say, this is a play about a man contemplating a violent act, and many of these men have, have committed violent acts, and it's a play about action and consequence as well. Mm -hmm. I think you've just hit on something very important, and that is a lot of people are in prison because they don't connect actions and consequences. And one of the things this program is able to do is to give them literature where they are deeply involved with characters' actions and consequences, and they begin to see in their own lives how their actions and the actions of others have consequences. Meg Sempriora, how, how did you get involved in this? Well, when um, Agnes began the Hamlet Project, um, she, in her inimitable fashion, looked around for professors who had time on their hands and would like to volunteer for her program. Um, and so she invited uh, several of us to come and give lectures on the play Hamlet, on the text, on the Renaissance, on Shakespeare's writing in general, um, and uh, speech and movement as well. Um, and I was one of the volunteers. I said no to beginning Act One, um, because I thought I didn't have anything to, to bring to them. I, I too felt like a personal a person of privilege who um, but my response was to think that I 
would have nothing to bring to them. By by the time Act Two was uh, beginning, I had changed my mind, and so I had my first class at uh, Pacific, which is the prison about 45 minutes from St. Louis. Mm. And it was a, a, an experience that I had never walked away from. Mm. One of the inmates in this this American Life program uh, it dawns on him uh, as he's saying the lines and and picking them up. He says Shakespeare. The Shakespeare is really good. <laughs> it's the part where the the, the lines the, he's wearing a sea gown scarfed about. Him. He's talking about the fog. Yeah. What, what is it about Shakespeare that that appeals to the to these to these men and women? All classic plays contain all of the people inside us and all of the people around us. Uh, It's not just Shakespeare. The women at the prison at Vandalia have just finished working on metamorphoses based on the stories by Ovid. And that was our bestseller because not only the actors, but everyone in the audience saw themselves in these stories. Uh, the, The stage is about mirroring us and our lives. Hmm. Now, these these uh, men and women, some of them have had very violent lives. Uh, do you, of course, you know, it's it's a special situation. The, the, the men, I suppose the women as well, are strip searched when they come in and when they go out again as, as well. There are guards around. Uh, when you first started doing this, did you feel frightened? No, I didn't. I felt privileged to be there, and I felt that all of the actors were very polite. Uh, they behaved perfectly when I was there. They made sure that no one was ever rude to me or Meg or any of the other teachers. My only fear is that some crazed inmate would do some damage to one of us. And the retribution against that inmate would get our actors in trouble. Hmm. So you, you were afraid of the kind of cascading effects? Uh, afraid that they would need to defend one of us hmm, against right. uh, a mentally ill inmate. Right. I suppose there are mentally ill inmates. Yes, I think you could say that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder the same question to you, Meg Semperiore. Did you have you ever uh, thought about that? Feared for your safety as you go into this situation? The, the very first night, um, I because it was new to me, um, and I was teaching an evening class, so I was walking at dusk uh, with Agnes across the yard to the classroom where I was teaching, and the yard did feel very long getting to the classroom. However, um, from that point on, I, I felt very safe in the presence of the men who so treasure the program that they would never let anything happen to it. Um, I, we, we, we are given a radio and a little box called a screamer, uh, you know, to pull the alarm. But the fear is more that you'll pull the alarm by accident than that you'll need to pull the alarm, actually. Um, so, no, I, I have not felt unsafe there. Agnes Wilcox, one of the men in, in this, uh, this program, This Market Life, uh, he, he says that uh, performing the play and uh, interacting, what you bring, Agnes Wilcox, in this program to him, is it makes him feel human. Mm-hmm. And he appreciated that. Uh, I guess pr- prison can be a, a dehumanizing place. Prison is constantly a dehumanizing place. Uh, one of the women at Vandalia referred to it as a place of despair and sorrow. Hmm. There's a uh, there's a very impactful moment in in this program that I've been making reference to. The producer Jack Hitt, who went into the prison and uh, and interacted with the inmates preparing and then uh, performing Act Five of Hamlet, mm-hmm. he said at one moment he he had met them as actors. He got to like a lot of them. Then he decided to go and look up their crimes, and he had nightmares that night. And and when he went back. Um, it was very awkward. He asked the inmates about that, and and they tend to have a very a great separation between their past and present. Sounds like 
My goal is to teach the actors with whom I work the difference between their past and their present. I don't think any of us, um, I don't think you and I should be judged or judge ourselves by the worst thing we've ever done. Mm. That's not who we are. It's who we were in that moment. But we have overcome the moment, and we have remade our lives, and we are fully formed, caring human beings. In in Hamlet, I, I don't know. I think it's Hamlet. I can't remember which character. He says, "Are we forever the prisoner of our actions?" <sighs> One of the inmates says, a person changes. I'm no longer the criminal I used to be. I took a man's life. Do I deserve to be out there? I can't say. That's, that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one, you know, which one this is, but this is it ten, was ten the years ago. It was Ghost of Hamlet's father, Ghost Danny. of Hamlet's father. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, of course, this is, you know, this, this, this American Life program is 10 years ago. Uh, do you uh, imagine these, these men and women have an impact on you? You remember specific productions? I do indeed. I remember a great deal about many actors, and a number of them that I began working with um, are still in the company. Hmm. Um, you know, the, it's a great thing for a lifer to do, to expand his or her mind, to enrich his or her life, so it becomes more bearable. Hmm. And uh, some of these inmates come back uh, time after time. Absolutely. Yeah. What do they say it does for them? What what what, uh, what the one person said it it uh, makes him feel more human. What else do they say? Um, a number of people have said they feel that our classroom and rehearsal room um, is outside, outside those walls, away from the prison. Uh, they have learned to leave all their prison difficulties outside the door. Hmm. And when they come into our classroom, it's a place of gentleness and intellectual activity. It's not prison. Hmm. Meg Sempriora, one of these inmates said, it, it, through this experience, he said he realized, I'm not stupid, I'm just uneducated. <laughs> they, they come to the program with such... Um, appetite for whatever you have to bring to them. And I quickly realized that all I needed to do was my best teaching. The same way that I would teach my undergraduates at Webster. Um, and and better. I've become a better teacher teaching them. Um, because as, as someone said about the Hamlet uh, project, the inmates build the play from the ground up. Um, I'm learning with them. I'm hearing different answers to questions I've asked for a number of years. So I'm learning about the play as they are. Um, it's, it, it's a thoroughly intellectual experience. And I usually bring a, a poem at the beginning of the class to uh, sort of, um, you know, the, the lead act, uh, a uh, bite-sized beginning to the class, and then respond to the poetry um, as well as the drama. Um, with such energy, wanting to learn vocabulary, understand the rhythm of it, um, think about its meaning to them. So it's it's extremely fulfilling teaching. One of the professors from the University of Missouri uh, in Rolla, who taught for us, said that he wishes that every college teacher in the United States could spend some time teaching in prison. I think he he felt that he was changed for the better, that he was a better teacher. And he's, another man, uh, another professor, said that he felt more appreciated than he ever had in his classroom. Uh, he had never received a standing ovation at the end of a class, and that's what he got the first time he came to prison. And it was thrilling. We're talking with the founder of Prison Performing Arts, that's Agnes Wilcox, and Webster University English professor, longtime program volunteer, Meg Sempriora. The USU English Department is sponsoring their visit to Logan. It'll happen tomorrow. They'll visit classes, present their work, participate on a panel with correctional personnel, and that will be during Common Hour. That's tomorrow, 1130 in the morning, USU Hate Alumni Center. 
When we come back, we'll, uh, we're going to be talking about what the purpose of uh, prison is. Uh, there are many different answers around the world. And uh, I think in America, there's a debate. Is it punishment? Is it to protect society? Is it, is it warehousing uh, people? Uh, should we be reforming people in prison? Um, we'll ask our guests that question, and we'll talk more about this riveting production of Hamlet. That was the subject of This American Life and some other productions that they've been involved with. Uh, when we come back, you are welcome to join this conversation, 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. Begin Utah Public Radio's fall membership campaign by becoming a sustaining member or adding a financial gift. Rocky Mountain Power is providing added incentive. They'll contribute $5,000 if we meet our goal of $80,000 by October 12th. Your contribution now at upr.org will be counted, and next year your membership will renew automatically so we won't have to remind you. Make a difference at upr.org. Click on Support the Station. Thank you. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Shakespeare Festival presenting Shakespeare's Richard II with two other productions through October 2013 in Cedar City, www.bard.org. On Access Utah today, we are talking about prison performing arts. This is a program began 21 years ago in St. Louis. Hardened criminals performing classic plays provide fascinating insights into theater and life. As This American Life said of Prison Performing Arts production of Hamlet in a St. Louis penitentiary, it's a play about murder and its consequences, performed by murderers, living out the consequences. The program's goal is to help inmates gain skills necessary for successful reentry into society. We're talking with the program's founder and artistic director, Agnes Wilcox, and Webster University English professor, longtime program volunteer, Meg Sempriora. The USU English Department is sponsoring their visit to Logan, and tomorrow they'll be visiting classes and presenting their work, participating on a panel with correctional personnel during Common Hour on the USU campus tomorrow, 1130 in the morning, in the USU Hate Alumni Center. Uh, Agnes Wilcox, um, I, I know you've thought about this for probably for a long time. You you went you said you went with your uh, mother to a women's uh, correctional facility, um, kind of early on. And I'm wondering what you think the the role of prison should be. Is it punishment? Is it protecting society? Is it reform? What's what's the role of prison? From what I have seen of prison inmates, I think that we are wasting a great resource for the United States in keeping people for life when they could be productive citizens. I'm not saying everyone in prison uh, should be released. I'm saying there are many people with very long sentences who are ready to come back into society and who would be um, a great gift to society. Yeah, some of these men profiled in this program, it, it sounds like, at least what they're saying, is that uh, after they had time to get out of their former life, they, they're saying that they're different men. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I still think of this one this one man. He, he said, I, I killed a man, so I don't know whether I deserve to be out there. I think he would probably want to be out there, and he he says he he's a different man. He He wouldn't repeat his crime. He would not repeat his crime, but at this point, having been behind bars for 20-some years, is he prepared for the transition back into society? Hmm. That's a huge problem. And is that why we're doing more harm than good? Is that why recidivism rates are, are fairly high? Uh, recidiv- recidivism rates are so high, in my opinion, because uh, the job situation in the U.S. is so dismal. Uh, many uh, many people who've been in prison have limited skills because they've been in prison and they didn't have a lot of skills to begin with. To come out of prison at age 40 and take a fast food job where everyone else in the place is 18, uh, it could encourage you to go back to your previous life of crime. Mm. What does a program like Prison Performing Arts do for for a person? And what skills are they learning? 
everyone I ask says that what they have learned is patience. And the first time I heard it, I was horrified. But then I realized that we teach all kinds of patience. For example, when other people are on stage working for an hour and you are not, you need to be patient. You could be watching TV, but you need to be in our classroom. Uh, Another kind of patience is sticking with a project until it comes to fruition. Um, We do one or two acts of a play every semester. So we're talking about five months of intensive work where the payoff is at the very, very end. We live in a culture of, what do we call it? Um, Instant gratification. And this is long-term gratification, which is something that I think it takes us all a long time to learn. Hmm. It seems like, at least these men profiled uh, here performing Hamlet, many of them feel regret. Uh, There's a man named Edgar Evans. He's playing Claudius. Mm -hmm. And as he says the lines, forgive me my foul murder, and then that cannot be, he says he's thinking about his family. He let his family down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The regret is, I have been told, the most difficult thing to deal with in prison. You've hurt other people you know you've had. You've hurt society. And there's no way to undo what you've done. And uh, there's, uh, there doesn't seem to be, uh, the, you say it in this program, there's, there's not a distance between the actor and the character, especially if you do something like Hamlet. Mm-hmm. And you're playing a character who has been violent or is contemplating violence or, or whatever it is. Um, these men really inhabit those roles. Yes, they do. And the women do, too. Hmm. Um, we, don't, we have footage and stories about the women on our website, but everyone knows this American life, so we tend to talk about the men more than the women. Yeah. Um, so you said that the women performed uh, metamorphoses. What, uh, what, what was the impact there? <laughs> it was the best-selling play we ever produced, Uh, Two housing units were scheduled to come to the gym the first night we performed for the general population. So we figured maybe 100 people will come. We set for 120. And after the first housing unit was called, uh, we had 110 people there, which meant that the second housing unit wasn't going to be called. And I was advised by a guard to called the shift commander, which I did. He's the captain who's in charge in the evening. And I said, could we do two shows tonight? And he said, no. So I reported this back to the guard who said, well, you're going to have to call the warden at home. Now, think about those words. Call the warden at home. I was terrified, but I knew it had to be done. So I placed the call And the warden said, of course, you must do two shows tonight. The women in that second housing unit should not be penalized. Uh, So we did two shows that night instead of one. Uh, First time we've ever done a double, and it was pretty terrific. Hmm. Meg Semperora, what what other productions have you been involved with? Oh, Agnes has done so many. We we did uh, the Oedipus plays, Oedipus Rex, and Oedipus at Colonus, and then um, the Tempest. Tw- this is not the correct order, but Twelfth Night, Julius Caesar, The Midsummer Night's Dream, um, Macbeth, and Richard the uh, Third, and uh, more recently she has done. Um, more current plays, um, the Goebbels Inspector General, um, and the women worked on the Metamorphoses, which is Mary Zimmerman's play. Um, I actually took a role in Richard III, um, which was a stunning experience. You asked Agnes earlier if she remembered particular productions. She does them in such unique ways that it's hard to forget them, actually. In the, in the, you know from the Act 5 radio show that she um, used 
for Hamlet, other than one Hamlet in her production of, of Hamlet, the very first thing she did. And that was brilliant. It, it divided the lines among characters in ways that um, Hamlet's mind was sort of divided and, and arguing with itself. She did the same thing with Richard. Um, there were three Richards on stage, and so you know the character of Richard is it's, uh, the the sort of quintessential villain, always plotting, always trying to manipulate. So when you're on stage with three Richards who are coming at you and trying to get you to do something they um, want you to do, it's um, extremely moving for the actor, <laughs> but I think also for the audience. They see the, the malevolence tripled, sort of. So, yes, I've I've taught, but also acted in one um, production, and uh, each time it's um, well, the, the plays are so rich that I would just take sometimes one image or one um, one set of lines and ask them to analyze them. You, uh, what was that experience? Uh, expand on that uh, acting with 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 the inmates. What was what was that like? What uh, compare that? Have you acted in other? Yes, I did some acting, not mm-hmm. not professionally, but um, I just decided to take a risk, and, and it worked out all right. Um, what it was like was like a, a troop of actors who took the work seriously. Uh, uh, Agnes sets a very high bar. Uh, it's a professional rehearsal period, and um, she's very strict about lines being learned, and they are learned. Men help each other. Some of them are non-readers when they come in. They're, they're readers by the time they you know, get to Act 3. Um, <laughs> they were very professional backstage. Um, the respect that they show people involved in this program is um, it's, it's just it's deeply moving. Mm. There's a, there was a man involved in that program, as one of the Richards, who said, in, in prison, you can either learn to become a better criminal or become a better man. And this program has made me a better man. Mm. Um, so that's how it felt working on it. It was an extraordinary experience. Agnes Wilcox, how do you cast the, these uh, plays? There, uh, maybe it's self-selecting. Certain types of inmates would want to participate in a program like this and certain would not. And how do those two groups uh, interact? Is, is there socialization against this? Uh, there is a hierarchy in prison that's quite fierce. Um, there's a class system that is pretty inviolable. But in the theater company, everyone is welcome. We tend to attract people who are bored uh, and who would like some intellectual stimulation. They may not be great scholars, but they know that keeping their mind alive will make them happier. So uh, it's a very mixed bag. People with high status, people with low status, everybody comes for their own reasons. Uh, But the atmosphere of courtesy and civility is absolutely vital to make a theater performance. So uh, if a non-reader is trying to read aloud, and every word has long pauses before and after it, so be it. We are sitting there until this person finishes reading what he reads as well as possible. Hmm. And it sounds like the men and women are, they're approaching this obviously on a, on a different or a deeper psychological level than many of us would. They're working out very serious um, past acts, consequences. In some cases, they're talking to their families through these lines. But that's true of every actor. Mm. Um, You know, our roles are us. And we have to examine our lives, which is why a lot of actors are a little nutty. (laughs) Is that true? That's a true stereotype? I think so. <laughs> what would you say, Meg Semperer? I, well, I think there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the work that it takes to become different characters, 
does bring out a certain intensity and self-reflection uh, in a person. I, I remember um, Meryl Streep saying to an interviewer when he, he asked her if she actually became the character, she, she just looked at him and said, I'm not crazy, but I think you do have to be a little crazy uh, to become the characters. The old Greek idea of catharsis, is does that happen? Is that one of the attractions for mm-hmm. the actor as well? I think so. Mm. I don't have evidence, but uh, I have certainly observed people finding themselves. Mm. I can add to that, too. Um, teaching Oedipus Rex, um, we talked about um, the moment in which Oedipus is about to learn something that he's beginning to suspect, that he, in fact, murdered his father and then married and had children with his mother. And it, he is urging the shepherd to tell him the truth, And he, he's, but he says, I am on the brink of dreadful hearing. Um, and the men are facing truths about themselves through the characters. I think that's really true. Um, you can tell it from This American Life, from Danny Waller's and Edgar, um, Edgar's words. So there, that moment of catharsis, of um, new self-knowledge, happens in their act moment by moment. They don't, in my experience here in my classroom, talk about those moments. They don't say, this makes me think of the, uh, the time I... But it's, it's ever-present. At the end of one Julius Caesar class, um, a, a young man came up to me. He was about six foot two, towered over me, and said, uh, you know, the ideas in this play, I, I think people should read this play. I think it could change their lives. Um, and that was a new thought for him, but it's the kind of thought that, that occurred to them, I think, as they work on, on the great works. One of the one of the men um, says his wife told him always told him you should be an actor, and he he realizes over time that uh, that he has been acting his whole life. He's been trying to act a role a, a man different, tougher, more violent than he really feels inside. Mm-hmm. That that is something we talk about actually in um, teaching Hamlet that wonderful play within play. When Hamlet sets up the king to try to betray himself about the murder, um, we talk about play within a play where people are pretending or watching other people pretend, or um, that the whole situation of of play acting for your peers, um, watching your peers, and so on. So you're, you're both audience and actor all the time in prison. Um, so to do it in a professional way, to know that you're doing it that you're assuming a role and doing it for a purpose, it just makes them sort of more self-aware about the whole notion of acting. Uh, Agnes Wilcox, who's the audience? Are there other inmates there when, when these are performed? Yes. Um, the women perform three times for the other inmates and then twice for invited guests. That invited audience is anyone who is on the actor's visiting list and uh, friends of prison performing arts. It's amazing to me that people from St. Louis will drive two hours to see the performances. Uh, They're that powerful, and the audience understands how powerful their witnessing is they are necessary part of the performance because whether there's a, 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 a vocal reaction, laughter or um, tears, there is still always a give and take between actors and audience. And I think many audience members know how important it is that they are there. What is the reaction from inmates, the inmate audience? Oh, Hmm. um, you've actually reminded me of my very 
favorite audience comment um, after Act One of Hamlet, uh, in which uh, they were in Elizabethan clothes borrowed from the Opera Theater of St. Louis, clothes that uh, had originally been rented from the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, so we're talking Pavarotti and his colleagues. So um, a man in the audience stood up during the question and answer and said, I think it took real courage for you to stand up there in them sissy clothes and speak a foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, <laughs> that's quite the comment. In that setting, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have more with Pro- Prison Performing Arts. We're talking with the uh, founder and artistic director, Agnes Wilcox, and Webster University English professor and longtime program volunteer, Meg Sempriora. USU English Department is sponsoring their visit to Logan, and they'll visit classes, present their work, participate in a panel with correctional personnel during Common Hour. That's tomorrow, 1130 a.m., USU Hate Alumni Center. You're welcome to join this conversation at 1-800-826-1495 or by email to upraxis at at gmail.com. When we come back, we'll uh, talk a little bit, mo- bit more about uh, memorable uh, inmate actors. One uh, I'll ask specifically about, uh, the Danny Wallard, Meg Semprior made reference to, who played the ghost of Hamlet's father and the man he had killed in real life. He felt talked to him through the words of that, uh, that ghost. Uh, moments like that um, make this, I'm sure, very impactful. Prison Performing Arts, following a break. It's more important than ever for Utah Public Radio to increase membership so we can become less dependent on federal and state sources of funding. That's why your financial help and support of our fall membership campaign is vital. The more pledges we receive in the door before the drive gets underway, the more likely we are to succeed. And Rocky Mountain Power will contribute $5,000 if we meet our membership goal of $80,000 by October 12th. Your positive response now at upr.org will be counted. Go to UPR. Dr. Zorba Pastor from Zorba Pastor on Your Health is coming to Utah. And you're invited to his free presentation, Living a Long Sweet Life, at the Logan Regional Hospital on Thursday, October 17th. The presentation includes lunch, but space is limited, so register now at upr.org. Zorba Pastor will headline other events in Logan and Moab. You can find out more about those at upr.org. Zorba Pastor's visit to Logan is sponsored by Intermountain Logan Regional Hospital. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. Now open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. And Colligan Water of Cache Valley, family owned and operated for more than 62 years, providing Colligan bottled water, salt delivery, or soft and conditioned water. Hey Colligan Man Service from the Man in Blue. Online at logan.colliganman.com. I'm Tom Williams. You're listening to Access Utah. We're talking about prison performing arts. Hardened criminals performing classic plays have provided fascinating insights into theater and life. Uh, So these plays are Shakespeare, um, Oedipus Rex, uh, and the like. Um, psychologically deep plays as this American Life set of prison performing arts production of Hamlet in uh, St. Louis Penitentiary. It's a play about murder and its consequences performed by murderers living out the consequences. The program's goal is to prepare men, women, and children for successful reentry into society. We're talking with the program's founder and artistic director Agnes Wilcox and Webster University English professor, longtime program volunteer Meg Sempriora. The USU English Department is sponsoring a visit to Logan, and they'll visit classes, present their work, participate on a panel with correctional personnel during Common Hour tomorrow, 11.30 a.m., USU Hate Alumni Center. Before the break, I made reference to one of the men featured in this, this American Life program. I'm sure he's not the only one who perhaps has had this experience. This is a production of Hamlet Act 5. His name is Danny Wallard, and he talks about how, as he's playing the ghost of Hamlet's father... He feels that the man he killed in, in real life, the reason he is in prison, is, is talking to him through the words of the ghost. That's, that's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you had other men or women, kids, tell you they've had similar experiences. 
Um, uh, my favorite essay uh, that was written about Hamlet in 2001 is eight sentences long. It goes, while the king is busy trying to cover his tracks with the killing of Hamlet, Ophelia walks slowly into insanity. Of all the characters in Hamlet, she's the one who should have been allowed to live happily ever after. Her death has left me sad and heartbroken. I tell myself it's just a play written long ago, but it still brings up emotions. Emotions I thought were long buried, never to surface again. But with each turning of the page, they come back. How can this tragedy touch a hardened heart? That I cannot answer. All I know is that it has. Hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's that's. I think that's what you're going for, isn't it? With with this it program, it is. It is. And um, Danny Waller, the the famous ghost of Hamlet's father, after the last performance of Act One in the visiting room, came to me and kind of pointed and poked at me and said, "You need to understand. Uh, what's important about this is." Not that we, you know, did a play. What's important is that we did something hard. It's easy to be a criminal. Crime is easy. Shakespeare is hard. Mm. Yeah, one of the men uh, talks about how he, he came to realize that being criminal is also cowardly. If you're, yeah. if you're on the business end of a gun... Or behind the if you're behind a gun, um, that gives you some kind of some false power. You you don't have to have courage at that point. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, what is the response, Ben? You you take these productions into juvenile facilities as well? Uh, none of the people we work with are allowed out of their facilities. We have an alumni company who performs throughout the St. Louis area. And we have programming in two juvenile facilities uh, in the city of St. Louis. Uh, So we serve youth, but we can't take adults who have committed crimes and take them into the the juvenile facilities. Mm. So you have juveniles perform uh, in their own facilities? Is that what happens? Yes. Yes. What types of uh, the same thing as Shakespeare? Primarily Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. But they study with us uh, capoeira, uh, Middle Eastern dance, mm, uh, ballet, uh, choir. So they create performances out of what they learn in these weekly or twice-weekly workshops. Mm. What differences do you find, uh, I guess, in the the tone of the performances among the men, the women, and the the juveniles? As you go into each of those three facilities. The... Many of the juveniles we work with have disabilities of various sorts. Um, so the performances are much more a showing of how they work rather than a performance. With the adult programming, our mission is always excellence because when you have produced an excellent work you learn more, and you're also able to transform yourself more because you create excellence and you are impacted by that excellence. So um, I would maintain that the adult uh, acting companies produce excellent work. I want to go back to the purpose of prison. One of the uh, an official you talked to gave you a statistic, 97% of prisoners will come out of prison at some point. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, you know, that's that leads you in a certain direction. Uh, you're thinking um, you're going to be living next to perhaps a, a, an ex-con at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so perhaps you you want a program like this to, uh, and the recidivism rate is, is lower, it's, it sounds like, uh, if they participate in a program like yours. Yes, uh, our recidivism rate is less than one-third of the recidivism rate in the state of Missouri. Mm. And that's true of 
prison arts programming across the country. Do you get pushback? Do you hear pushback? Uh, the, the people who say, you know, these these the prisoners are there to be punished. Let's not coddle them with, you know, soft programs like this. Absolutely. And I understand that if I have a child and that semi-adult child cannot um, afford to go to college, but prison inmates are getting college credit paid for by donors to prison performing arts. I fully understand any kind of resentment that is there. I would say rather than deprive the inmates, let's make sure that this person's children has the opportunities that he or she needs. Mick Sempriora, we're near the end of the program, just about a minute here. How has participating in this program changed you as a teacher? You made reference to that earlier. I wonder if you could expand on that. Um, I think being open to improvisation um, is something that I've acquired over, over the time of working um, with the prison inmates because the, 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 it, the prison class is more likely to be full of um, surprises. Um, uh, just in terms of the um, reflections uh, that the men share or readings of different lines, everything from that to um, their capabilities growing, you know, I, as I watch. So that I, I come in with more sort of open expectations to my undergraduates. And also, uh, I, I take less for granted. I do not assume that we have a common background, a common cultural background. I can't assume that in prison. And it's rewarding not to just to leave everything open to conversation and discovery. Um, so I, I would say it's sort of in, uh, unmeasurable, the difference in my feeling about teaching and my teaching, but it's definitely been enriched by this program. Uh, Agnes uh, Wilcox, just 30 seconds left. What's, I assume you have another production coming up in, in a, or several in yes. correctional facilities. What, what do you be... The men are working on an American play from the 1920s called The Front Page about newspaper men in Chicago. And the women are looking at one-act plays, comedies, because they feel an obligation to make their sister inmates laugh in this place of horror and despair. So we're, uh, we, we are now known for our comedic abilities All and right. we're going to capitalize on them. Okay, that'll be coming up. And oh, you have a And I forgot. Yes. We're doing a we're developing a, a short play with men who are about to get out of prison. And we create scenes based on their expectations and fears of returning to society and open that conversation for other inmates and for staff. So it's not a shameful topic, but a topic that is directly addressed before you have to transition back into society. Hmm. It's called going home. Very appropriate. Uh, We have been talking with Agnes Wilcox, who is founder and artistic director of Prison Performing Arts, and with Webster University English professor and longtime program volunteer Meg Sempriora. The USU English Department is sponsoring their visit to Logan. They'll visit classes, present their work, and participate on a panel with correctional personnel during Common Hour. You're invited. uh, That's tomorrow, 1130 a.m., USU Haight Alumni Center on the USU campus. Uh, Meg Sempriora, Agnes Wilcox, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening. For producer Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Uh, by the way, coming up tomorrow for World Reading Day, we'll have another book program. We'll, we'll ask you what you're reading. I'll be talking with Elaine Thatcher and several booksellers. What's on your reading list? That's tomorrow. Uh, join us then. And for today, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening. Most of us are fat and comfortable. Commentator Thad Bach. But millions of people go to bed hungry each night. The gap between the haves and the have-nots creates distrust that puts everyone in danger. We live on a planet with finite resources. The human population is increasing. Arable land is decreasing. 
we increased the Earth's carrying capacity for humans because we use technology. From breeding plants and animals, to irrigation, to genetic modification, to whatever comes next. Some technologies, like irrigation, increase our ability to produce food. But millions of acres of salted-out farmland from failed irrigation projects are monuments to optimistic action without evaluating the consequences. Acceptance of technology is controlled by economics, culture, religious beliefs, and social systems. Technology can be effective only if we understand where it fits in an ecosystem, the prevailing culture, and an unknown future. My generation measured success with bushels of wheat, trout in the creel, board feet hauled to the mill, and return on investment. Emphasis was on the present, not the future. Sometimes deliberate overuse was encouraged. For instance, the shortgrass plains were plowed to produce grain, and rangelands were overstocked for the war effort during World War I and World War II. Policies about land use are often made by people in corporate boardrooms or government offices located outside of rural areas. In order for people in low-population areas to have good roads, electrical power, Internet access, medical service, and good schools, their lives are subsidized by those living in heavily populated areas. This relationship between people on the land and people with power is best known in dictatorships. But it also occurs in democratic republics who try to load the system in favor of underpopulated areas. For instance, every state in the United States gets two senators regardless of their population. Since the really big decisions about feeding a hungry world are made by people from outside the rural areas, the future of our food supply depends more on educating the masses than on tilling the soil. This is Thad Box. Utah Public Radio's Fall Membership Drive gets underway October 3rd. Your contribution now will help in a special way. Rocky Mountain Power will contribute $5,000 to UPR if we meet our membership goal of $80,000 by October 12th. Become a member or renew your financial support at upr.org. Click on Support This Station. Thank you. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan. Dr. Zorba Pastor from Zorba Pastor on Your Health is coming to Utah. And you're invited to his free presentation, Living a Long Sweet Life, at the Logan Regional Hospital on Thursday, October 17th. The presentation includes lunch, but space is limited, so register now at upr.org. Zorba Pastor will headline other events in Logan and Moab. You can find out more about those at upr.org. Zorba Pastor's visit to Logan is sponsored by Intermountain Logan Regional Hospital. Utah Public Radio's Fall Membership Drive gets underway October 3rd. On Thursday, your contribution now will help in a special way. Rocky Mountain Power will contribute $5,000 to UPR if we meet our membership goal of $80,000 by October 12th. Become a member or renew your financial support at upr.org. 